Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning. How's everyone doing? 17 people are doing great. Um, All right, so if you have a Bible this morning, would you open it? If you have a Bible app, um, if you have Google on your phone, you can search Bible, um, and you'll find one. Uh, It's Psalms, and this morning we're going to be in chapter 122. And usually, I put a marker where I'm going to be. Today is an unusual day. All right, we're in Psalm 122. I did have a marker right there. That's funny. Um, <clears throat> all right, this is Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. It said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, there the thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek you're good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you shape our hearts today as we come to your word? Lord, would we all, myself included, lay down our tendency to um, strong arm scripture into meaning what we want it to? Lord, would you shape us to be a community that is looking lovingly and critically at your word to know how we might apply that to our lives now. That we would see more about you today, that we would leave more transformed, more capable of responding to the very real world that needs love, that needs peace, Lord, and for the people that are in this room and that are watching us online that, are, that long to have that feeling of gladness when we come together for worship. For all the ways that that has been complicated, Lord, would you heal us? Would you start the healing process today? Lord, would there be a miracle that someone's healing process would be start and close today? Lord, that you would do a miracle to move our hearts toward you, make us the kind of people that are glad to come into your house. In your name we pray. Amen. So, welcome to LBCF. If this is your first time here or if you're new here and you haven't uh, met me yet, my name is Ryan. I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, I've been the teaching pastor here since January, and before that I was doing a lot of storytelling. And for me, they, they sort of flow from the same space within me, is, is I'm constantly trying to look for the ways in which the story of Scripture finds us 
and how that kind of flows through us, that we are just a part of something that is much older than us and that will continue long after us. And how are we playing in that? How are we floating on that stream? How are we finding the harmony with the notes we're playing, with the music with which God has made everything? Uh, we are a community learning to live and love like Jesus. Maybe you've found us because of the freeway sign, so you know that that's something we're about, and we're constantly trying to work that out. And we are working that out through our values of adoption, ambassador, and abundance. And so if you see those words, and if you want more context of those words, go to our website where we have a really good write-up of what those words mean to us and how they flesh out in our community. Uh, We're in a series right now called The Psalms of Ascent. And uh, if you haven't heard of that before, that is all right. The Psalms of Ascent are a collection of 14 songs that would have been sung by pilgrims on their way into Jerusalem during one of the three major festivals that were held throughout the year. And the reason they're called the Psalms of Ascent, as I shared last week, is that there was both a physical ascent as they walked up the hill to Jerusalem, but there was also a spiritual ascent in which they were going to be in the presence of God. And so they are called the Psalms of Ascent for that reason, and they are a beautiful collection as well of how we as the church can prepare ourselves. What kind of words should we be saying to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds to go worship? Last uh, two weeks ago was Psalm 120, and it was a psalm of of dependence and repentance. In Psalm 121, what I shared last week, was a psalm of confidence and trust. This week is a psalm of worship. It's also the best evidence of the, of the assumption that these were songs sung by pilgrims. Can I have the text up on the screen one more time? Can you put the, the opening of this scripture. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Skip down to verse four. It says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. This is one of those psalms that is such great evidence that this was sung by a group of people making a journey. Uh, And so last week I shared in this psalm, uh, in the psalm of confidence and trust, how in my life I have to I called it blowing on the embers of those things that live inside me. Something where the fire may have gone out, but that confidence and trust for me really felt like how I tried to drum up the feelings of the fall. And I talked about having a cinnamon broom in my house, and I shared about baking things and good smelling things and how I try to surround myself with all of these clues of the reality that I know somewhere somebody is enjoying the reality of the fall, but I have to surround myself with all these false things that that sort of drum that up. And I was so encouraged because after that, I had like four people say like, you encouraged me. And I went and bought fall decorations and I and my house now smells of cinnamon. And, and I was like, yeah, but what about the part of the Bible that we were talking about? Like, hopefully my advocacy wasn't just that your house would smell better during the fall. But this week, it sort of continues in that because once the fall would have passed in Bishop, especially after I moved out, I would go home for Christmas every year. And as you drive from Southern California to Bishop, 
in mid-December, the temperature changes about 40 degrees, and it's fantastic. But I would, as I would be pulling into uh, Bishop, I would roll the windows down, even though it was 25 degrees out, because I wanted to feel the cold on my skin. I wanted that. I wanted to smell the smell of farm animals. Horse manure was something that really turns a lot of people off. There's something that is tangible about my past in that. There's something really nostalgic about smelling the animals and feeling the cold. And as I would drive in, there's a campsite on the left-hand side, Browns, and they decorate their entire campground in Christmas lights every year. It's a place where there's not a lot of things to see in Bishop, if we're being honest. So you make a stop at the campground that puts up the Christmas lights. That's your excitement. Um, but it's something where I slow down and I go below the speed limit because I want to soak it all in every time. And so I would go home. It would probably be about 2 a.m. because I would usually drive home at night. And my puppies would wake up and greet me. My mom would wake up and she'd be half asleep and just come out just enough to give me a hug and a kiss and say goodnight and go back to her bed as I went to sleep. And I would spend the next five days sleeping in and having breakfast made for me. <coughs> Excuse me. And, <coughs> and having a fire in the morning and um, just being cared for, being comforted and being loved. And it was, it was and is such a sweet thing for me. And that was something that I longed for. So when I think about, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Does any amount of that rise up in me when I think about going to worship with you all? Does any of that come up for me when I think about church? Do I feel that sense of like, I want to be there? Now, it's a little different for me because I've been in church leadership since I was like 19. So it's been a job for me as well. And so there's a sense in which I feel responsible to do it. But I was asking myself as I was preparing for this, what is it about church that feels like it's become more complicated than that? Um. Because even going home to a bishop has become more complicated as I've grown up. Now I have kids, and I've got competing schedules. The relationships that I have with my parents has changed. I've been forced to grow up a bit. Some of my family members that would come over have passed away. My puppies have passed away. Some of those sweet things that I longed for that were there for so long aren't there anymore. And there's still a sweetness there. I'm still cared for, but I'm asked to participate in a new way. I'm asked to partner with my parents. When I go home, my parents are like 4% excited to see me, but they, they would gladly trade me for their grandkids now. Like they're like, leave them here. You go do whatever you want. And so <clears throat> there's an amount of shift that has happened Shift that feels like a loss. Shift that is loss. Uh, in the last 20 years, uh, in 1999, 70% of grown Americans said that they participated with a worship service every week. 
70%. In 2018, that number was down to 50%. In 2020, that number was down to 47%. People in my age group alone have declined church attendance uh, in, for since 1998, 20%. So, and in all of the people that I'm talking to, because like I've said, I've been involved in churches for a long time, very large Presbyterian churches, large non-denominational churches, Assemblies of God churches. I know people who are in church leadership across the board, and they are all saying the same thing, that in the last year, they've lost like 30 to 50% of their people. All of them. And we're all trying to figure out how, what to do with that. And yes, of course, some people are at home because there's a lot of concern and fear and all of that, of course. But I think that there's something happening more than that. And I, and I started to look more at that. Um, and, I, and from what I heard from a lot of the people that I am around is some people have stopped this idea of going to church because they are disappointed. They are disappointed because they don't sense those same feelings that they had a long time ago. It's not a warm place for them anymore. It's a complicated place where they're having way harder conversations than maybe they've ever had. Um, They're also disappointed because there's an objective failure at the broadest level of evangelical leadership in our country. People who have held high offices that are just now finding out what has been under the surface of that, and that throws people off. And some people don't know how to walk away from that and still hold on to the idea of the local church. They're disenfranchised. They feel like they don't have any power to do anything about it. They're, they are distracted. And I was a college pastor for eight years, and I can tell you that all of the assumptions that people make about why young people leave the church, not all, but a lot of them are just wrong. They aren't stepping away from the church because they, are, they care more about partying or they care, they are so, want a big epic worship thing. They just want the church to, to be something that's transformative, that meets them where they live. And they've longed for that and they want that. Young people want that. High schoolers want that. Junior hires want that. Go talk to our kids and ask them what they want out of church. And I'll tell you that what they want is a church that will, will meet them where they're at and offer them something that will transform their lives. That's it. They don't need anything impressive. And so as I was thinking about that, I was trying to imagine because it seems like what we read here in Psalm 122 is he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I was, and I was like, well, was their life more complicated or less complicated? Did they have more or less reasons to be conflicted with this idea of joining together in worship? And I'm thinking about how these are people that are in exile, These are people who did not have the spirit of God dwelling in each of them. So they relied on these moments to come together 
and worship. They relied on the prophets. And we take that for granted often because I think, are we just called to live off of these old experiences? Are we meant to just drum up? Are we meant to just surround ourselves with memories of the past? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to just try to get back to the way things were? So often when I'm trying to think about how to be a great husband now and some of the advice that I hear from pop culture is try to renew something that was from the past. Try to rekindle that thing that was there when you first met. And my thought towards that is that that's backwards. I'm meant to live into what we are now and go forward. I think that what we are not meant to do is just ruminate on how things always were in the past. Because enjoying home now means for me that I have to enter the maturity of being an adult going home versus being a child. It feels like loss. It is loss. It's the difference of being glad that you slept in and you hit the snooze button, which that's usually how I feel glad is like, Yes, I made a good choice. I hit that snooze button. Or it's the choice of waking up and exercising and eating healthy. Those are two different feeling glads, right? (laughs) Very different. One is like, I made the right choice to participate with something that I know is good. And the other one is, I made a choice that's going to serve me now. And there were a lot of things that served me now as I went home that don't exist anymore and that still hurts and that hurt is real but i'm called to participate in a new way the effectiveness of the church is often defined by its social utility its bells and whistles or its ability to provide people an escape from the complexity of the world out there unfortunately The Bible doesn't say that the church is meant to do any of those things. Biblical effectiveness is always defined by these three things. Transformation, love, and fruit. The Bible says if you want to evaluate whether or not you should be happy to go to the house of the Lord is ask yourself, do I have the ability to be transformed? Do I have the ability to partner in love? And what is the fruit from what's happening. Because to say that we have no rubric for how we are to determine whether or not a church is doing what it's supposed to do is just wrong. Because the Bible says you'll know a tree by its fruit. We're meant to see, do we see any love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? You all know that list. Look at it and ask, what is the fruit from what we are doing here? That is how we should be determining the effectiveness of the church. The first list, the one of its social utility, its bells and whistles, or its ability to, draw, to, uh, to provide an escape for people, makes you the recipient. You sit in a chair, you get to receive good music, you get to receive whatever value you place on this teaching. (laughs) But you are a recipient. The second list means you're a participant. You're participating. And this is not some backdoor 
way to say all of you need to step up and participate. But maybe it is. Maybe that's what you're supposed to be feeling right now. But maybe it's as simple as a childish form of engagement versus a mature way. Uh, Can we put up the quote that I have? Yeah. It says, we live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, that there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Maybe our gladness is hiding just on the other side of participating. Now, I ask myself all the time because a lot of my peers have decided to step away from church. And they've stepped away from church and they are doing very Jesus-y things. They're participating in affordable housing, helping with the homeless, the lost, the sick. They are like, I want to go do these things that Jesus called us to, and I can't find a way to get a grip on doing that while I'm in church. And so they've stepped away. And I realized that one of the things that was missing for that gladness to show up for them was that we have to create pathways in ourselves and with each other towards the participation of what the church is called to do. Now, I think one of the reasons I'm so compelled by the local church and why I'm so still in love with it is because I have been participating, whether it was by choice or whether it was because I now need to feed my family and it's a paycheck, I'm participating. And that participation draws me in in a way that is much deeper than if I was just a recipient Maybe the reason that we all feel so bland or conflicted is maybe because that thing, that fire that's inside of you has not found a way to land, to to dig its claws into this thing called the church. Maybe the church needs to do better for you and to create opportunities for that fire to come alive because I think that that's when the gladness shows up. It's when we do what the church is called to do. But... David here doesn't hound Israel. This isn't like a crazy correction. You may think it is based on how I'm teaching it, but this is just what comes up for me. But what he was trying to do here was not wish frustration or complication to be within Jerusalem's walls. Let's pull up the text one more time. What does he pray for? Uh, Next one. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I say peace be within you. Peace. Shalom. It's in the name. Jerusalem. Jerusalem has shalom in its name. There was something about the peace The peace, the shalom, the word that we translate as peace that we've talked about in this community before. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. There's a a restoration. 
that we receive, but that we also partner with peace, security, goodness for Jerusalem. And so this is where a Bible study technique that I think we all need to apply in whatever we read comes handy and avoids the, the temptation that I've seen this text used for in, in, in my Christian journey. And this is something that I call the Jesus Lens. And if you've ever seen The Sixth Sense or Fight Club or there's probably a lot of other movies out there, there's something that happens towards the very end that reforms the way that you see everything prior. So you see The Sixth Sense. I hope I'm not ruining this movie. Come on, people. How many years? He's dead. So I ruined it for you. But um, you don't find that out until the very end. And that reshapes everything that you just watch. And you have to go back and watch it again because there's clues the whole time of what's happening. Fight Club, if you haven't seen it yet, they're the same person. So you find that out. I'm just going to ruin every, every movie. Luke is his, uh, his father's Darth Vader. Okay, so in case you didn't know that. Um, so... There are these things that happen at the end that reshape how you need to read everything. And when we see Jesus, what everything was pointing to, you have to read every text through the lens of who he is. And you have to say, how does this point to or highlight what I know about Jesus? We have to take it there every time. Because if we don't, a text like this could have us trying to think, okay, is this about some geographical place that we need to be praying peace over? Or is this a text that says, okay, it's about me and my people and only pray peace for me and let everybody else handle their own thing? Is it a tribalism or an ethnocentrism? It can't be. Because the harshest criticisms towards the church and towards Israel were always in the fact that they worshiped idols, and that they ignored neighbors. They worshiped idols, and they ignored neighbors. And so we cannot read this text and, try and apply it in a way that says, peace for us at whatever cost that it will happen to anyone else. Because it's that kind of thinking that causes the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. It's that sort of like craziness that all of a sudden everyone's like piling it in their carts and people would fight each other in grocery stores and I see that and I'm like that's such a symbol of what's broken is that we have we have such a panic that turns everything inward and when things get tight we stop helping each other God's meant God's people were always, always, from the very start, you cannot find a hint that this wasn't true. God's people from the start were meant to be conduits, not buckets. When God pours out his blessing, he said, go take that to, the, to all the tribes. Take this thing. I'm making you an example so that you can take this and hand it out and make this real for everybody. His chosen people were chosen not to receive everything and be recipients. They were meant to be participants all the time. That's what we're called to. 
participate, not just receive. There's a process that we see happening and that the Bible attests to. And it talks about being reborn. So when you are born again, you enter what we would call a spiritual infancy, where when you show up to church, maybe that is a time just for that moment where you are meant to receive and heal and be cared for and have things that just taste sweet, the care of a mother's comfort. Maybe church should feel like that if you are newly reborn. But the Bible then says, we don't stay babies forever. We're called to maturity. And the maturity involves participating. In the same way that when I go home now, I'm up early with my parents making breakfast for my kids. Because I'm a participant now. Because I'm not a child anymore. And at church, we're not meant to be children forever. And maybe the gladness that you long for is because you're trying to put on children's clothes and you're an adult. (laughs) Maybe it's uncomfortable because the thing that you're called to is actually one step more than just that, I just wish that it felt comfortable again and that everything was nice again. And I get that because I have that too. And I miss that too. And when I drive home and it doesn't have that same sweetness, I miss that too. Of course, but we're called to grieve those things as well. And, we, and one of the things that we do very poorly just in our culture is making space to grieve those things which are losses so that we can move into the new way of being. And so now I'm going to move into my closing. So if Kathleen wants to go get your people that are helping communion, that's awesome. So I wonder what it would be like to make that pilgrimage inward to the place where God's spirit takes up residence now. How long of a journey does that feel to access that part of you that longs to be in church, that longs to be with other people, worshiping, to pray for and to participate with the peace of that landscape? Because when Jesus came, one of the things that we see as we look through the Jesus lens is that he tore the veil of the temple. And he says, I'm going to put my spirit in each of you. My spirit will dwell with you. And so the longest journey that will ever happen will not be us trying to make it to some Mecca, but we have to journey inwards to where the spirit of God dwells now. And pray for the peace of that. Pray for the peace of all the place where the spirit of God dwells to be glad to be together, not because we're just comfortable, but because we actually make space to be transformed. We make space to participate with what the church has called us to, to do something with what we know. To, it talks about, and we see it over and over again, it says to give thanks. Giving thanks was not just something that they said. Giving thanks was making sacrifices. So when we hear give Thanks, it always involves some form of participation. I'm going to encourage you that um, if you think that this is just me on a soapbox being upset, maybe it is, but Amos 5.21, just write that down. Go read Amos 5. 
Read what the prophet Amos said, what the Lord said through the prophet. In short, it was, I don't want to hear all of your words. I don't, want to, I don't want you to just sing songs. <clears throat> I won't hear them. I want justice and righteousness. That's what I want. I want that to flow like a river. I want my people to do something. Go read Amos and ask yourself, is that something that we need to take on? that we need to hear. Uh, Abraham Lincoln had a quote where he said, if I had six hours to cut a tree down, I would spend the first four sharpening my axe. And often I I think I wish the church felt like that axe sharpening place. But for so many, they've come to church and they've longed to be sharpened. So they could go do the work that's outside of here. Because this isn't where the church work is. The church work is out there. When you leave here, when you go to your jobs, to your marriages, to what you have, the church work is out there and we're supposed to be sharpened in here. And I really think one of the reasons that we have failed to do that many times in the past is that we've made it about receiving where we're called to participate. So I'm going to have a a prayer on the screen um, as I close. But I really think that what God wants us to hear is that he wants us to enjoy this space. He wants us to have peace, not to be all conflicted all the time, not to be all tired and worn out and exhausted He longs for us to come into this house and be glad that that is something he actually desires for us, is good things. God longs for that for you and for me. And one of the ways that I really believe we make that happen is to get our our hands dirty in this work, to participate with it. So I'm going to call up the worship team, and I'm going to call up our middle schoolers who are serving communion. So if you uh, aren't prepared to cry, maybe get yourself all organized before you come up here and receive communion from junior hires, because that's a beautiful and amazing thing, and we are so lucky and blessed to have them here. So I want us to spend the first five minutes um, as you just prepare your heart. The band will be playing kind of quiet. I'm also going to invite the prayer team up. So um, if, if the prayer team, if anybody who's here from the prayer team can come up and maybe just find a pocket over there, um, a band will be playing more quietly. So if you want prayer, if anything from this text or anything that's happening with you at all came up, I encourage you, go receive prayer. This is a moment in our time where we can just be, we can receive something of warmth, someone caring for you. And then as we close, just be thinking about this prayer. God, form my heart to be glad to turn towards you and away from idolatry. Make me a conduit for your goodness, even when I don't feel like it. 
God provide peace for those, <laughs> uh, peace to those turning toward you and for your church. Transform and restore me to be a participant in your present and coming kingdom. Amen.